Hello, and welcome to a guilt-stricken episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, we'll be starting our questionably Christmas trilogy with 2008's In Bruges. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Purgatory, Switching Gears, Chit Chat, Callback, and Brother in Arms. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Do you think this is good? What? Do you think this is good? I think what is good? Right right around this carriage, looking at stuff? Yeah, I do. It, it, it's called sightseeing. Uh, yeah, you, you see that little bag under the horse? I, I can see every time it shits. It sounds like you're looking at the wrong attraction. Uh, attraction? Uh, all these old buildings, you mean? Dude, this is a historic city. We're here on business, so technically it's a tax write-off. Things could be much worse. Just relax. Uh, well, hey, next time could you pick an investor that lives in, you know, I don't know, Miami? Uh, how much further to the hotel? I, I don't know. Here, here's the brochure. It has the address. Beautiful countryside. A cottage-like feel. Oh, for fuck's sake. Why couldn't we stay in a real five-star hotel? You said it was a tax write-off. Yeah, it's kind of like a, like a fairy tale hotel. What's wrong with it? There will be absolutely zero prostitutes at this type of place. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. Look, I, I don't want to hear you complaining the whole trip. In fact, if you shut the fuck up and let me enjoy this, you can plan the next one. Okay, asshole? Let's just try and enjoy the rest of this and discuss in Bruges. Oh, see, look, look, the, the horse is taking a shit, Brett. A pair of hitmen contemplating life, death, and retribution find themselves in Bruges, Belgium, Europe's most well-preserved medieval town. While touring the fairy tale town, the two must grapple with their past while awaiting further instruction from their ill-tempered Man of Honor boss. Alrighty, Travis. You know we're gonna jump into five-point inspection, but before we do, I gotta know what is your quick diagnostic of 2008's in Bruges. Uh, before even watching this movie again for the review, this has always been this is a, uh, a Travis Santana Hall of Famer. Like, if I meet somebody new who claims that they are a, a cinephile in any way, this is kind of the uh, the credential check. Like, hey, have you seen In Bruges? And if they've seen it and they love it, they've automatically scored some points with me in terms of you know how our friendship or our relationship will proceed from there. I know, especially in our reviews with Andrew, Andrew, you know, laments the fact that, hey, it, it kind of sucks to review these movies that you love through a critical eye. Through a critical eye, I love this movie even more. Like, <laughs> the dialogue, the comedy is amazing, but I think that it really says some stuff about crime and punishment, you know, hell and purgatory. Um, I, I, I doubt I'll have anything negative to say about this whole movie, but what about you? Uh, yeah, I, I'd have to agree. It's, um, 
I mean, to your point, watching it critically, it winds up being the same fantastic film. The only thing I think I could think of that would be a deterrent is it is wildly politically incorrect. It is a dark comedy. So if you're not into dark comedies, it's going to be a huge turnoff right off the bat. I think if if you are a fan or you can at least tolerate that genre, I think the movie as a whole is so well written. We talk about just you know, well-rounded comes back to everything kind of ties up at the end. There's not a whole lot of loose ends. Just again, those tight scripts that we love when we see movies. This is one of those where, you know, we, our new segment, I have questions. I have a few for, I have questions, but it's not one of those like plot holes or like, let's joke about it. It's just like, Hey, like let's talk. I have a a question about something that happened in the movie. I want to discuss this in the movie that didn't necessarily fit nicely into one of the, the five points. Um, with that said, yeah, I just, it is, it's an absolutely fantastic movie. I mean, almost from beginning to end, it is just, it, the dialogue is fantastic. I think the pacing is good because there's at times where it's one of those, I'm like, oh, it's starting to slow down. Are we going to have some pacing issues? And it doesn't. It's, it's honestly sometimes just an opportunity to let you kind of breathe because the dialogue is so good that I think if it was a full, you know, 107 minutes of that it's it could be a little exhausting you just need kind of a a break to let your brain kind of absorb what you've just taken in so that you can take in a little bit more so i i think it's an absolutely fantastic film well before we get too far into it i would off air like to retract that part about your cunt fucking kids brett (laughs) (laughs) what are you bringing Uh, them in for this bringing them into this part I I have so much to say about this movie. I don't where where do you want to start with the five points? Let's let's end with purgatory just because I think that's gonna be the bulk of what I want to talk about is a lot of the messaging in this movie and the symbolism and stuff like that. So I think we can we can kind of end it there. I've already brought up dialogue, so do you want to just go into and do some chit chat? Uh let's do some chit chat. I, I guess that's gonna ultimately be, you know, what are your favorite quotes of the movie? Oh, a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> Ray Fiennes is so fucking good. And I was all I could think of was like he plays a great villain. And then I was like, I would love to see him in a in a like a positive, like a nice role. And like, oh, we have the Grand Budapest Hotel. He, he was an upstanding gentleman in that. I'm like, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to see he he does have some range because he does. And then maybe it's because you know when everybody thinks of him, they think of Voldemort and all that. But I'm like, he plays a villain so good. He plays it so good. I mean, he does, Brett, but I, I know, I know for a fact that one of the reasons you love this movie is the same reason I love this movie. We love a, a movie with characters that have a code. And, and he has a very strict code. Very strict code. I love Harry Waters as portrayed by <laughs> Ray Fiennes in this movie. I mean, he could easily be that that mafia heavy, just the, you know, because we love Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson in this movie, Ray and Ken. The dynamic between those two, I would I would go out and say it's better than Riggs and Murtaugh. It's, it's better mm-hmm. than any duo that you've seen in a movie. And it would be so easy for the Harry character, uh, played by Ray Fiennes, to be this just one-dimensional villain. 
But we've already talked about it. he's got a code and he lives and dies by it, literally, in this movie. But also just the the scene of him getting frustrated and 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 bashing the phone <laughs> on his desk. And we get an inanimate object. You know, baby, it's an inanimate object. You're an inanimate fucking object. Just that quick glimpse of his home life, the kids running around, the wife just criticizing him for being just the typical hey, I hate to say it, a dumb man, just overreacting to nothing, breaking his own property, but it it just it just works so well. It, it It's such a little touch, but it puts a little bit extra on Harry where this almost feels like a tripod. Well, and again, he's an asshole. I mean, as Ken calls him, he's he's a right cunt, right? But he apologizes to his wife. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for calling you an inanimate object. I said, in the same breath, though, is it going to be dangerous? It's, it's a matter of honor. Of course it's going to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, again, we, we, you've already established it. The language in this movie oftentimes is homophobic. It's racist. Um, But yet I I think about lines. And again, these are characters speaking. I'm just quoting the dialogue. When Harry is getting the gun and he's presented an Uzi. (laughs) An Uzi? I'm not from South Central Los fucking Angeles. I didn't come here to shoot 20 black 10-year-olds in a drive-by. I want a normal gun for a normal person. Just the fact that you get that behind the scenes look at Harry's home life and just realize that he's a regular dude, but he happens to be the big bad in this movie. I, I, I can't get enough. Even the, in the same scene when he's talking to the dude who loses his eye, and he's like, well, it's kind of your fault, isn't it? Like, yeah, he's like, I want the guy dead. I hate the guy who did it to you. But at the same time, like if you allowed this to happen, like I'm not going like, to be on your side with this one. And how he kind of dissects it. Like if he's shooting a blank, that implies that he's very close to your face, which means you allowed him to get close to your face. Like, oh, my God. The, the dialogue in this movie is just... Again, I I was worried, and I still am, that we'll just evolve into quoting the movie because the lines are that good. Even, but dude, even the body language, because we talk about Ray Fiennes, when he shoots the dwarf (laughs) and he thinks it's a kid, the way his shifty eyes are looking around because he realizes what he's done. He broke his own code. Because he's a man of... Because he is a man of honor and he has his code, he knows what he now must do. <laughs> Just, ah, that's what you meant by the little boy. <laughs> like, it's a fantastic, just that, that like 30 seconds of him realizing he's going to have to off himself because he said earlier in the movie that that's what he would have done. It's just, it's amazing to me. Again, it's, it's so well done. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we might bounce around here, but that's what I wanted to talk about with callback. There mm-hmm. are so many moments in this movie that just work as standalone comedy, but then come back. Uh, like we're already discussing. Harry's code is, hey, if you if you kill the little boy, that's it. I, I would kill myself on the spot, which he ultimately that comes to pass. Um, and the fact that the only reason that he thinks that he's killed a little boy. I mean, I know it's a it's a, a little person in a schoolboy outfit, but we also have the fact that he went ahead, 
even though his protests about I'm not I, I'm not going to use an Uzi because I'm a normal person. I'm not trying to do a drive by. He still he still goes for the dum dums that makes the head yeah. explode, and the little person's head explodes, so he can't see that it's actually a, an adult dwarf. He thinks it's a little kid. So the dum dums call back. Um, I think Barnut. Oh, go ahead. Hmm? Was it not even just comedy callback? Uh, when Ken drops the coins from the top of the, the clock tower so people know he's about to jump. Like, that's, like, they established earlier that he has coins, so at no point in this movie you're questioning, like, what And they, they wouldn't accept he, his like, coins to get into the tower. Yeah. They wouldn't accept his coins. Yeah, it's one of those, like, why does he have coins in his pocket? And it's not one of those things, I don't even know if I would have questioned that in the movie, but they still take the time to establish that earlier so that when he's dropping the coins, you're like, oh, I the coins are from when he tried to get up here earlier and couldn't. And to my mind, in a hilarious movie, the funniest comedic bit is going up to the tower Mm -hmm. uh, because Ken. Wait, no, no. Is it Ken? Yeah. Ken wants Ken is Brendan Gleeson. He wants to see all the Mm. sights and he wants to go to the top of the tower. And what does Ray say? Like, what can you see from the top of the tower down here? Because I can already see down here, down here. And then you have the overweight Americans that show up. And again, that's a funny throwaway bit. You know, Colin Farrell just basically saying like, hey, you're you're too overweight to go up to the top of the tower. Don't do it. The view is rubbish anyway. And the Americans are like, oh, no, on this brochure, it, it's one of the best sites in Bruges. And he's just like, oh, well, hey, you're not going to be able to do it. And then Ken comes down. And in a much gentler way, reaffirms what Ray has been saying. Like, oh, hey, you're going up there? No, no. Lots of windy stairs and stuff. And then later in the movie, they can't they can't go up into the tower because an American had a heart attack going up to the top of the tower. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is going to be the thing to bring up that scene. We're going to want to I can tell this in one of these episodes where we bounce all over the five points. That goes back to Brother in Arms and kind of like the odd couple between the two. Like, that's another one of those great scenes that establishes the the difference between those two. Because Ray is very, <laughs> like, kind of shitty about the saying, like, look at you, you're a fucking elephant. Like, there's no way you're getting up. Whereas Ken's approach is like, oh, it's very windy. I don't think you're going to want to do that. Like, you just see how the two of them approach everything. Like, Ken is much more down or kind of like political. I won't even say political, just a little bit more sincere with everything does, whereas Ray just says whatever comes to his fucking mind, right? Yeah, it's, it's funny to me in this movie that the whole, you know, engine of this movie is the fact that Ray fucks up and kills a kid. But the whole movie, Ray acts like a kid. Like, mm-hmm. Ray is the definition of a kid because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, you just, you can't help but just... You speak truth to the situation, but you don't have a filter on it. That's kids are notorious for that. Uh, so it's interesting to think that, you know, Ray feels so much guilt about killing a kid, and yet Ken ultimately feels guilt about killing Ray because he thinks in his head that Ray is still a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're talking about the callbacks, one of my favorite callbacks is the. <laughs> defending yourself against a man with a bottle and the whole bit about a 50 year old he's a 50 year old who knows what do you mean he's a 50 year old lollipop man who knows kung fu like what the fuck is this whole story but when ray is in the restaurant and the woman swings at him with a bottle a bottle don't bother yeah i would never hit a woman but she had a bottle that's basically (laughs) self-defense 
<laughs> and I mean, again, we're bouncing around, but that's why I, I threw in, you know, shifting gears, changing gears, because I have never seen a movie before or since that balances one moment you're going to be laughing at this movie and one moment you're going to be like, wow, that's that's hitting me right in the feels. That's depressing. Um, you know, because. Again, Ray feels so guilty about killing the kid that he's going to kill himself. Ken is literally in Bruges, little to his knowledge, until the time comes that he's supposed to kill Ray. And he's going to kill Ray until he realizes that Ray is going to kill himself. <laughs> and that's comedic, and yet it's dramatic. It's it's comedic and dramatic, but I love when it gets brought up later when Harry's there. He's like, "What? you're telling me he was going to kill himself. It would have solved itself and you stopped it? <laughs> Yeah, this keeps getting suicidal. worse. I'm suicidal. You know, he killed a kid. He's suicidal, but he hasn't killed himself, so he's not suicidal. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think again, just so much of this movie winds up. Again, we uh, we talk about all that. Just it's a very tight script where it, everything seems to matter. Anything that happens in the movie is is relevant. And there's no, I mean, it's the same reason we loved Men in Black so much. It's like, it's everything felt like it was there for a reason. Um, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to, in my brain, process where I, where I want to go and, and talk next. Well, and the fact that Harry sends Ray to Bruges as a, hey, I'm going to have you killed, but I want to give you this, this, the last nice thing, like, the line that always plays in my head is, I love I love the way Harry speaks in this movie. Is the swan still there? Like, he is so offended that Ray is not into Bruges. What do you mean it's not his fucking thing? It's, <laughs> it's a, a fairy, fairy town. fucking town, isn't it? Is the swan still there? Who the fuck doesn't like swans? Yeah, I... <laughs> And just, again, the dramatic element of if you're Ray and you've done this terrible misdeed and you've made this mistake and now you're going to have to pay the ultimate punishment. It's funny to think that in Harry's mind, hey, I'm giving you this last nice thing. In Ray's mind, I'm already in hell. (laughs) What do you mean? Uh, The Bahamas? (laughs) This was probably cheaper. I what am I I I don't even know if this was meant to be a joke, but I thought it was hysterical. Uh, being a lover of wordplay and puns, but when when Ray is talking to um, I forget the the drug dealing woman. What's her name? Chloe. Is Chloe? It Chloe. Yeah. Chloe. When he's trying to get her number for the first time, and he's talking about how midgets killed themselves in a disproportionate amount. I. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke, but I'm like, ah, it's a midget disproportionate. <laughs> I was like, I could, that joke made me laugh <laughs> so way more than it probably should have. And you got a good Star Wars reference out of it because we get a, a Frank Oz R2-D2 mention. Yeah. The whole time he's going on with and I even love in the movie how many times he knows he would rather be called a dwarf and just cannot stop saying midget over and over and over again it's like it's like we've established that he want he knows he wants to be called a dwarf and he continues to call him a midget they're filming midgets and then the whole cocaine scene where, <laughs> where he's going on about the war <laughs> they're not going to be wearing uniforms man <laughs> absolutely ridiculous 
Um, which I guess let me touch on my last five point and then we can bounce around uh, as needed. But Brothers in Arm, obviously the, the easy comparison is to talk about Ray and Ken um, because, yeah, they do have a loyalty to each other. But I like the element of uh, Ray Fine's character. Ken's wife was killed. Ken's mm-hmm. wife was a black woman killed by a white man and Harry avenged his wife. So there's some debt that Ken has to Harry, and yet he's willing to throw all that away for Ray, which if I'm honest, this was the kid's first job and he fucked it up and killed a kid. I would probably be more loyal to Harry. Uh, but it's interesting that Ken is like, he he almost takes on Ray as this, embodiment of a child himself like you know ray's talking about hey you know i killed a little kid i killed a little boy and and ken's response is hey well you can save the next little boy so the whole purgatory punishment hell heaven it's interesting how that because ken is prepared to kill ray but he doesn't do it because ken is or or ray is going to kill himself and it's almost like that's that's not the way judgment should work. You don't get to kill yourself. Either you have to die by my hand or you have to go on and live a life of redemption. I thought that was, that's the first time I picked up on that because I've always watched this movie as just a pure comedy, but I thought it was interesting to think that you, you want to repent as Ray, but you can't do it that way. The way you need to repent is go save the next little boy. And Ray has no interest in doing that. Well, and that'll come back because I, I want to come back to that. Um, because the other thing I think is interesting about that whole situation. God damn it. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, wait. what I think is interesting about my whole thing is that ultimately Ray is the only person who doesn't have any kind of code in this movie. And I think that that's what's interesting about him having such a hard time in purgatory is because, you know, Harry... When he did something wrong, he thought he killed a kid, immediately acted on it. When, you know, to your point, Ken, when Ken realizes, you know, Ray's going to kill himself, that's not the way judgment works in his mind, he stops what he's doing and his code kicks in and he has to basically try and take care of Ray. Because again, killing Ray, it's nothing personal, that's the job. But the fact is, if Ray was going to kill himself, it means that ultimately he failed Ray and he needs to make sure that Ray is in if in a better place if ray's gonna die that's one thing that's the job but it can't to your point can't be by his own hand you know that's that's not the way that that works um to that do you think that is partially the reason if we're getting into the whole day of this movie being about purgatory and guilt and having you know essentially having to to face your demons and all that do you think that's ultimately why Ray's train gets stopped? Like, yeah, it's a whole, you know, callback, the Canadians and all that. But ultimately, it was not Ray's choice. And Ken makes that clear. It was not Ray's choice to get on the train. Ken puts Ray on the train and the train starts to leave. And therefore, it was not Ray's choice to leave purgatory. Or it basically, you know, it, had he decided that he had gone through whatever process he needed and determined he was ready to move on, Ray hadn't, which is why the train stopped and he was pulled back into Bruges is because to your point, he hadn't made the, the his his penance. He hadn't come to terms with what it had to be. Ken was trying to force that and make that decision for him. Yes, 100%. And I think the movie affirms that 
with the the way the movie ends because I think the movie is still ambiguous whether you think Ray dies or he doesn't if he dies he's he's paid his penance in in some people's eyes and if if he doesn't die he he announces to the audience what he wants to do he wants to go to the home of the child that he killed and let you know the family and the parents of that kid decide his fate so i think yeah it 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 goes to say that you can't get out of purgatory because someone is pushing you in one direction or the other that has to be the conclusion that you make mhm Yep, and that you was know, his <clears throat> his growth at that point was him being able to make that decision. So whether he winds up in heaven and hell is irrelevant at that point because he, you know, had the the epiphany or the moment that he needed. So to get into the whole purgatory and guilt, I have a lot of of notes for this five point. Um, I don't know how much you have, but so I thought it was interesting. You know, when they're in the museum, the museum is stark white. You know, again, adding this idea of, you know, what people think of purgatory, they think of, you know, this stark whiteness, you know, where you're, you know, you wait to be judged. I thought it was interesting that all the paintings they looked at were essentially of people being judged, you know, whether it was, uh, I think it was the flaying of, I forget, I'm looking at Sismanes, I don't know, something Greek, I don't know. Um, but essentially I looked into the, that it was essentially a corrupt judge who they flayed alive. And then I guess his son had to sit on a chair made of his skin for his judgment type stuff. Like, so a lot of, yeah, it's fucked up, <laughs> which this whole movie, I was trying to tell Kate, I'm like, this whole movie does not shy away from gore whatsoever, which winds up making one of the most tragic scenes in the whole movie, but we'll get there. Um, when Ken jumps, I still, that, that whole thing, that that's such a, an awful scene. But, uh, all of them I thought were interesting. I thought it was interesting the the final like you know the the final judgment painting that Ray and Ken are looking at. Did you feel like they were trying to mirror a lot of what was happening in that in the final scene where Ray is is trying to escape Harry and he winds up on the movie set and it's like all the weird mouse creatures and monsters and stuff like that that it's essentially that was his final judgment and they were mirroring a lot of like the weird imagery that was in that painting. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I feel like the movie dials it up at the end, and it's the perfect it's the perfect way to have that kind of visualization uh, to kind of mirror the painting, but make it still grounded. Because I think that's ultimately why I love this movie. For as high minded as it is, it keeps it completely grounded. And yes, though the visuals that mimic the painting come as a result of the fact that we're watching a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing I thought was interesting is, do you, <laughs> this is a, I think it's maybe John Stein, maybe not John Stein, I'm trying to remember who wrote the book, A Prayer for Owen Meany. But in it, there's a whole thing about, there's an armadillo, and the whole reason is because the animal's name has arm in it, because since I read that book and, and all those notes, I always think of like, so they go to the most preserved medieval town in europe and i just wonder was it by choice because it's medieval literally mid purgatory you're between two places was that the reason that they chose in bruges like again it's an interesting backdrop i enjoy the fairy tale town and all that but i do wonder if there's almost a literal sense as to why they picked that location was because it is the most preserved medieval town in europe and it is that idea again of being stuck in the middle between two places 
Yeah, no, I I never thought about the the Bruges setting in that sense, but that again it, it plays into the theme very well. Um, I already unfortunately we already talked about a couple of things I had in this section where you know again echoing Ray Ray is the only character who doesn't really have a code in this movie, and I think that's a lot of the times while he's wrestling with you know after they're looking at the paintings. He can't decide what he's supposed to do. Like he feels guilty. He wants to kill himself. He, all that. It's like because he doesn't have any any clear direction as to what it, what he should do after that. Because he essentially is, you know, again, a child, a man without a code. Yeah, I think that's the thing too. Is it by the end of the movie, I I like Ray. I, I like all the characters in this movie, but I don't necessarily care if Ray survives because. Again, Ray is depicted as a child the whole movie. I don't know that Ray's decision making is going to get any better if he walks away from the results of this movie. The only time I can think of in this movie where you see Ray actually think about his decision and he isn't just based completely off of impulse is when he's trying to decide how many buttons he should button up his shirt for his date. And you watch Ken watching him like as he's he's wrestling with the decision like do I go one button down or two buttons down? Like, how many buttons down do I go on this shirt? And to me, that's the only moment you watch Ray actually contemplate or think about anything. Other than that, it is completely, everything is off the cuff. He isn't thinking at it whatsoever. Now, what about when Ken jumps from the tower, which we have to talk about that scene. That's that's the scene of the movie. On Raglan Robe, that song that plays as Ken is climbing up the tower incredible but when ken hits the ground ray shields chloe he doesn't want chloe to see what has happened and that's before he even knows that it's ken so i would throw that in is that him making a decision what does that say about ray i still think it's an impulse like he make i'm not saying he doesn't make decisions but it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like he he thinks any about anything any decision he makes is based yeah it's based solely off of impulse as opposed to actually you know again surveying anything and coming to a conclusion. It's just literally whatever pops into his head first is exactly what he winds up doing. And I think my, my biggest beef with this movie in terms of character motivation is I, I don't understand why Bray wants to stick around in Bruges with Chloe, knowing what's coming for him. But at the same time, that kind of just plays into the fact that he is an impulsive child. Like Ken has done all of this. Ken has, sacrifice the relationship you know with his boss harry you know who harry harry avenged his wife and yet he's willing to throw all that away and it, it kind of again goes to ray's immature character that ken has thrown away all of that history and is willing to sacrifice and yet ray is just like well fate took me back to Bruges, so i guess i'm just gonna have dinner at this cafe in the middle of town well, they make a. He has to be there for a few days because he has to show back up in court. So that they do make that a small, but at the same point, it's the thing like when she, I think Chloe says man. something about like, "Are you going to stay around?" And he goes, "Well, I don't know if I really have a reason to." And then they kind of like have their moment, like, "Oh, he's going to stick around for her." I do also think it's very interesting, even what it says about Ray as a character, that even after Chloe has admitted that her and her whatever the other guy is. Uh, one-eyed Willie, her boyfriend, not boyfriend, ex, I have no idea, friend with benefit. 
when she explains that, oh, yes, you know, they typically, they rob tourists and stuff like that. And Ray goes into the whole thing and goes, I know somebody like you wouldn't want to be with someone. And she goes, like, what kind of person are you talking about? He goes, a nice person. It's like, you still choose to describe her as nice, even though you realize that she's a drug dealer and she robs, like, they robs tourists. Like, what is his moral compass that that is still defined as a nice person to him, despite the fact of what he's just gone through. Yeah. And uh, in terms of Ray and, and Chloe's interaction, I love the, um, when they're talking about what they do for a living. So I, I've got this down. So what do you do Raymond? And he says, I shoot people for money. And she says, what kinds of people? Priests, children, you know, the usual. So already we know what's happened. That's a little bit of a dark element. And she says, is there a lot of money to be made in that business? And he says, there is for priests, there isn't for children. So so what do you do, Chloe? And she says, I sell cocaine and heroin to Belgium film crews. And he says, do you? And she says, do I look like I do? And he says, you do actually. Do I look like I shoot people? And she says, no, just children. And that, again, that's kind of a funny line, but you can just see Ray just that lands with, a ton of bricks upon him. So again, mm -hmm. I love the the comedic pitter patter dialogue, but again, changing gears, this movie can go from making you laugh to making you be like, Oh shit, that's heavy. And then right back to laughing. <laughs> Even the whole thing, like the roller coaster, the whole time can is talking to Harry on the phone at the hotel and he lays down on the bed as he's describing things. I'm like, this is such a weird scene, but like, I find it funny and endearing somehow at the same time. Like, Ken just describing like, and you know what he said? He said, <laughs> he said, Ken, I feel like I'm in a dream and I just, I can't wake up. <laughs> he said that. Yeah, he said that. <laughs> and the Is whole the time, I don't know about you, like, rewatching this, like, there's certain parts I couldn't remember the movie, but the whole time I'm like, does Ken know, or does Harry know, like, does Harry have a spy and goes, really, because I know that, you know, Ray wasn't there. I'm like, I could not remember because it's been so long since I'd seen this movie. I'm like, no, Harry, Harry just believes Ken at his word, whatever he says. Is the swan still there? Or or when Ken is opening the door and closing it to pretend <laughs> that Ray isn't there, like he's covering for Ray. But I think that's, and I, I, I again, jumping all around, when you talk about brothers and arm, I think that that as much as they act like mates, they act like, they act like friends, I think at the end of the day, Ken almost looks at Ray as, a, as his son more so than anything because it talks about, when Harry's talking about him, like, who brought Ray into this? Where does it stop? And it stops with Ken. Like, Ken, Ken looks out for him that... So, again, it goes back to he could kill Ken or Ray if that was part of the job. Because, it's again, it's part of the code. They understand that they're hitmen. But if Ray is going to kill himself, it means that he's failed Ray. And he has to do... And again, it's that weird... It's a code. It's a fucked up code. But there is a code there. Like, he has to take care of Ray, even though... He was about to kill Ray. Yeah, again, I, I don't know that that's so much as... I think his perspective switched when he saw that Ray was... Well, well, it's weird. This movie's all about punishment to me. Ray was willing to punish himself, and therefore Ken is like... The fact that he is willing to punish himself means he's paid his punishment. And it's just why he wants to, you know, give him a second chance. You know, again, go save the next little boy. What do you want to become a doctor? There's a lot of school in that. <laughs> oh. 
So I'm trying to see if I have anything. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the last scene. I do think it's interesting that he goes, it's, a, again, a stark white ambulance. Did you know that there was, a, I guess, originally a different ending to this movie that was less ambiguous and they decided to, to scrap it? Uh, no. Were they going to make it clear that Ray died? Is that the non-ambiguous? So from what my research was, apparently the original ending was going to, to follow up with like a newspaper clip type thing where it talked about the shootout. Ray winds up surviving the shootout, but then still kills himself. So at the end, like, Ray winds up surviving Harry shooting him all up, but then he's still so guilt-stricken that he can't he can't cope with it and still winds up killing himself. I'm like, eh, I'm glad that they changed it just to the kind of ambiguous ending as opposed to that. Yeah, I think that would have been a little heavy-handed. Like, how, how much guilt can one character have in a movie before it's like, yeah, you should have just shot yourself in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, saved us all. Well, I wouldn't have saved us. I mean, that was a fantastic movie. The Alcove. Was he going on about the Alcove with you? When <laughs> <laughs> oh. we talk about, you know, the chit-chat, like, again, just dialogue that you would expect. Like, those two men... At, at one point, Harry thinks they are going to have a shootout, and they're still just shooting the shit. Like, this is, you know, we're, we have history here, you know? God, and I love the scene between Harry and Ken when Ken is like, hey, I'm, I'm totally in your debt, whatever you want to do. And just, I don't know if you remember this part, but Ray finds with the perfect delivery, just, he just says, What? He just is so shocked, like, you know, hey, just because you're standing there like Walter fucking Powell, which, full disclosure, I don't understand the Walter Powell reference, but <laughs> that he later references Gandhi, like, don't call Gandhi on me. I just, again, you can feel the history of those two characters because Ken is like, hey, I know everything that's gone on between us, but the boy had to be let go. And just, again, the honor amongst thieves there. Like, they're, they're I love done. When Harry like, starts to tear up. Like, he's like, well, I can't shoot you now after you've said all those then, things. And then shoots him in the leg. <laughs> and then shoots him in the leg. And that's going to be the end of it. But then the fucking, what is it? The 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 Poff Boy? What what do they call I, I can't remember what they call that idiot that gets blinded in one eye. The bl Eric, the like, blind boy. <laughs> what in that moment where they both realized like hey we just had this beautiful moment we felt like we resolved something because ray was out of the picture or so we thought but ray's back in the picture and then like we've talked about it goes right back to that code they both snap back into that code harry's like nope i i can still kill ray so that's got to be done and then ken switches back into the protective you know father mode i, I just i love that moment Absolutely. I do think it's interesting too in this movie. Like, well, this is, I will, well, I think we've pretty much wrapped up five points. I have questions. All right. So, what, what did Ray do with Ken? And I would love to know what Ray did with Ken and Harry before this. Cause it sounds like even Harry has history with Ray. Like, I really did like the point. All I'm like, he only did one hit for you and he fucked it up. And it goes back to, Again, Ray being a kid and not doing it professionally because he could have just shot the priest in the head, like through the thing, but instead just blasts the absolute hell out of him, not knowing who's through the other door, which results in the little boy dying because Ray just doesn't think about what he's doing as he's just shooting up a, a freaking church to kill a priest. Um, 
almost to do it like you would see in a movie, like Harry sends his regards and then shoots the guy as opposed to just being like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to assassinate the priest. Um, I mean, what do you, I would love, like, what relationship do we think Ray had with them before? Like, it's not important to the movie at all, but I did still just wonder just because it is brought up where it just seems like there's more of a connection other than the fact that Ken kind of met Ray and, you know, brought him, like, why would you trust enough to bring him to Harry and all that? Like, there's just, there seems like there's so much to unpack there once you realize that this was Ray's first job and he just completely fucked it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm just making assumptions. It it feels like if this were a TV series or one of those bloated movies that we hate that have like a three hour runtime that Ray would have been some sort of street kid that hung around maybe one of Harry's quote unquote legitimate businesses. And Mm -hmm. that's how he kind of gets swept up into the life. Kind of like the departed with the Matt Damon's character, the way he gets introduced to Jack Nicholson's character. Um, You know, he just kind of frequents the grocery store that the crime boss owns and the crime boss takes a shine to him. It's like, Hey, I'll give you take your mama a couple free loaves of bread and a gallon of milk. And they kind of builds from there. So like, I, I almost love it in the way that I've seen enough crime and, and mafioso movies that I can kind of build that backstory with just a few mm-hmm. lines of dialogue. But yeah, if you're just viewing this movie as a standalone, there's, it doesn't make any sense why Harry would say something like, Hey, I've always liked the kid because like you said, he literally had one job and he fucked it up already. Yeah. It just makes me wonder like, is and again, you don't need any more for this movie to be successful. It's just one of those things I just wondered, you know, as you're talking. About. Next thing is, do you think that Harry as a character hates religion? And the reason I ask this is I think it is interesting. In a movie like this where everything is done intentionally, you know, we don't have any context as to why Harry wanted to kill a priest. But do you think it has anything to do with Harry has his own code and you have to live, you know, you kill a kid, you have to die because you killed the kid. And essentially a priest can absolve somebody of that code, right? Because, you know, the Catholic, you can do so many Hail Marys or you can be forgiven. Like, do you think that, again, small, subtle thing, do you think that that was intentional that Harry would have Ray go and kill a priest? Or is it just because it's more tragic if a kid's praying because he's sad, moody, and can't do math and winds up getting shot in the head involuntarily? Because, again, the reason I ask is because this everything in this movie seems to matter. Um, do you think there's any more to it, like I said, or is it just it just so happens to be a priest in a church? There's nothing in this movie that really explicitly says it. I get the vibe that Harry wants the priest dead because, I mean, the Catholic Church. That's all I got to say. Like, we're talking about, you know, young boys and and the consequences of of immoral behavior. It, it What I extrapolate that is, is, hey, you're, you're holding people to this code and you're absolving them of guilt. And yet you're a Catholic priest. Take that to its natural end point with what's been in the news. That's that's the impression that I got, because, again, Harry is so just, hey, if I hurt a little kid, if I kill a little kid, I'm I'm done. I'm killing myself on the spot. So I, I extrapolate that to me that he would take great offense to a priest in that position hurting young children. But again, nothing in that movie explicitly says that, but that's no, my interpretation. No. And my last thing is, why does Ray need his gun 
in the confrontation with Harry. Because doesn't he take Ken's gun off of him after he falls? And I don't remember them doing anything specific that, that makes the gun look... Ken's gun is smashed up. Is it smashed up? Okay. Yeah. I, it was one of those things I didn't... Because that's all I was like, why the hell does he need to go back to the hotel to get his gun? Or why not just make a run for it or so? But yeah, that was the only thing I thought was... I didn't remember seeing that the the gun was all smashed up. I thought he yeah, yeah. you can see the spring like it's busted to shit. Mm-hmm. Like he landed chest first on that gun. Oh god, the arm, his arm just oh. severed. Like I said, that mm. scene so so rough. I think I think I'm going to die now. Yeah, again, and that soundtrack on Raglan Road that. This movie introduced me to that song. Love that song. And again, when we get back to code and morality, I love, from a comedic standpoint and just people living by code, I love that they both agree, hey, let's not get this pregnant owner of this hotel killed in this. Like, hey, <laughs> I'll, crazy. I'll jump out the window. I'll, I'll <laughs> jump into the canal. You, you got a good angle to shoot me. We'll count it down. <laughs> Like that, that could go so wrong, but it just fits in this movie so perfectly. Do I have your, I don't want to come back in here in 10 minutes and find you hiding in a cupboard. No, no, you have my word. And I love, uh, uh, I think it's Marie, the the hotel owner, when Harry's pissed because they don't have normal voicemail, he has to leave a message with the receptionist and the way she reads Harry's words. (laughs) I'm and she's afraid to insult him. Yeah. He's a bit of a cunt. <laughs> oh. All right, oh, sir. Just, ran, I'm sorry. One more random comedic uh-huh. element. When the when Harry tries to bribe the, the ticket seller at the tower and he throws oh the God. money back at him and then taps him on the forehead... The tower is closed this evening. And... And Ken just walks away because Ken, yeah. I feel like, Brett, I've been in that situation with you before in public. Like you haven't violently assaulted anyone, but maybe verbally assaulted someone. But I'm like, they're not going to like Brett's reaction. And frankly, I'm just going to walk away and let Brett do his thing. <laughs> Epitome yeah. of that scene. Yeah, that's fair. That's still one of my favorite lines is. It's it's about honor. Of course, it's going to be dangerous. Ah, <laughs> oh. alrighty, sir. I think that wraps up five point. And I have questions. Do you want to do some blue book? Let's do some blue book. I I didn't cheat this week at all, so I'm very curious. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much honor you have. All right, the estimated the sticker. Fuck me. The sticker price of this here flick. Yeah, it's almost like I have a segment that I do this every weekend. Oh, boy. The sticker price of this here flick is an estimated $15 million. How much do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? I'm going to say not much. I'm going to say $37 million. 7.8 7.8 million god damn it yeah okay but yeah. hey it's it's an international movie international you got right, an international go. box office for us what do you think our gross worldwide is 15 million sticker again? price 15, 15 million. 
I mean, the man has been able to make other movies, including an Oscar nominee for Best Picture, I do recall. Did you see Seven Psychopaths? Yes, I've seen Seven Psychopaths and uh, Three Billboards. Yeah. Um, 30... 42 million worldwide 39.6 oh, okay and basically okay. 40 basically 40 million so this is one of those rare instances where the worldwide overshadowed what us and canada did i mean which makes sense because he what he, he is an irish playwright this was his feature length debut i believe i think so yeah yeah did you know that the if you factor in the number of times the word fuck is used in this movie, I think it averages to like 1.2 fucks a minute. <laughs> that absolutely tracks. <laughs> All right, so you ready to do some tag and title? Absolutely. Alrighty. I'm going to give you four this week but one of them should be pretty obvious that it's wrong but you'll understand why Alrighty, travis i'm going to give you four taglines this week one tagline will be an official tagline for this movie two will be for movies i found adjacent and the fourth will be from yours truly what i need you to do is tell me the official tagline for 2008's and bruges are you ready Frankly, no, but let's do it. Live or die on this day. Shoot first, sightsee later. Just a couple of hitmen on a guilt trip. And after life, there is more. The end is just the beginning. Uh, live and die on this day is going to be The Gray, starring Liam Neeson. Okay. Um... What'd you say about sightseeing? Shoot first, sightsee later. Official tagline. I'm confident. I, I feel like I'm two for two. Now here, here comes the real challenge. Um, After the, life, there is more. The end is just the beginning. And just a couple of hitmen on a guilt trip. That's you. Just a couple of hitmen on a guilt trip is you. Because again, that's clever. I like that. So I know that's you. So one is an adjacent title. Is that correct? Only one? There's two adjacents. Two okay. Adjacents. So the gray, the gray is an adjacent title. The after, give me the afterlife one, one more time. Cause that's the other adjacent title. I just got to try to figure after out After life, is. there is more. The end is just the beginning. Can I ask one clarification? Mm-hmm. Is it are all these from a movie? No TV shows, no prestige yep, all series. Movies. Okay. All movies. Because that's that's the exception of close to the exception of mine. Yeah. The of exception course. of mine. You know, because yeah. right, give me the afterlife one one more time. I'm sorry. Afterlife, there is more. The end is just the beginning. There was a Clint Eastwood, Matt Damon movie about Matt like Damon. A, a hurricane 
I can't remember what it was called. Hereafter? I'm gonna say that's from Hereafter, uh, which I guess plays into the Hell, Heaven, Purgatory. I'm not confident in that one, but I'm confident in the rest, so let's lock it in. You did very well this week. You did very well. Uh, live or die on this day is absolutely 2011's The Grey. I did not think you were going to hit that one that 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 well. Big fan. Shoot of that first, sightsee later. A lot of people had a problem with that. I enjoyed that movie too, but I I think the marketing of that movie was poor. The Grey, because everybody thought yeah, it was going to be Wolf Punch of the movie. Wolf, yeah. yeah, broken bottles, Wolf Punching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that—that's literally the last scene of the fucking movie, and, and you don't even get to see it. Yeah, you don't even get to see it. I can see it. Like, oh, whoever cut this trailer did a great job to get people in seats. Unfortunately, everyone's gonna fucking hate this. Um, just a couple of hitmen on a guilt trip is mine. Afterlife, there is more. The end is just the beginning. Is 1998's what dreams may come oh okay well done i really wanted that to be the adjacent title because the whole idea of traveling through heaven and hell and all that and purgatory the problem was that tagline was very clearly not going to be this movie (laughs) so i was like "Eh, i'm gonna throw it in there just because i wanted it to be there but i i don't think that's gonna fool you at all so the other tagline for this movie official tagline was how do you want dot 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 me to kill you which i did not think was a very good tagline so honestly i don't think shoot first sight see later is actually like i enjoy the tagline i don't think it's appropriate for this movie yeah it very much feels like a hey we just have a we need a snappy Mm -hmm. title a a little something to put on the poster uh yeah and that's what they settled on well, what's weird, too, is if you look at the poster, I, it might, has to be a deleted scene because the poster I'm looking at on IMDb, it's Colin Farrell with the revolver holding a pink ice cream cone. And I don't remember him ever eating fucking ice cream in the movie. I'm assuming that um, has to do with the lollipop, man, because of the lollipop. No, man, I mean, it is a, it is a pink ice cream cone. So I, I don't yeah. know. And then it's got, yeah, it's got uh, Brendan Gleeson and Ray Fiennes on it. And then a swan and then a little bit of in. It's not a great poster, but the the pink ice cream cone confuses me. Well, the, the poster I always remember is Colin Farrell kind of like he's wearing a pea coat and he's kind of holding it like, damn, I don't want to <laughs> be here. And I think the in Rouge the is boat. in pink. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, alrighty, sir. Well, do you have a time capsule for us this week? Uh, yeah, and I'm, I thought it was going to kind of get ruined by previous conversation, but um, my time capsule this week is Colin Farrell because this movie represents to me a very fine line in his career. Because if you were to if you were to go into a time capsule back to our days mm. of working at working at Tinseltown and right after. When you think Colin Farrell, you think, you know, he was in Minority Report. He was Alexander. uh, He was in Miami Vice. He was very much a overexposed Hollywood star. Like, I think he he had like a tabloid relationship with Britney Spears. Um, He's on the record as saying, and this is impressive to me. He does not remember filming a single moment of Miami Vice. That's how into (laughs) drugs and alcohol he was at that point. (laughs) Um, that he would film a Michael Mann large budget movie and not remember a single thing. 
this movie, he kind of, to go back to our five points, he changed gears and became very much a character actor. Uh, he's gone on to do things that I love. Uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, The Lobster. Um, he's returned to Martin McDonough with, uh, you know, the Banshees of a city Seven Psychopaths, Ireland, too. Pronounce, and Seven Psychopaths. So it's very interesting that he kind of easily could have just continued to play bullseye in shitty Marvel properties and Sonny <laughs> Crockett uh, and Alexander the Great. But he went with a more subdued approach to his career. And I think it's absolutely served him well because uh, I mean, he's one of my favorite working actors. He he did come back for DC. He was the penguin. And allegedly, there's still going to be a TV series with him playing the Penguin. I I do not believe that will ever happen. I was, <laughs> but, after, yeah, with all the cuts and layoffs. Yeah, they wrote they they did an entire movie and won't even release it on streaming. But don't worry, your TV series is is safe. Yeah. So yeah, my time castle is just uh, Colin Farrell is a prime example of a guy who I guess a little bit like Brad Pitt, like has the the leading man looks but is interested in pursuing more in terms of the content of his films. So I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. thankful for this movie on its own. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. I recommend it to anyone spoilers, but this was a clear changing of gears for Colin Farrell that, that served him well from what, 2008 when this came out to, to now mm-hmm. every now and then you got to go back and get that Oswald cobble pot paycheck. But did you ever see the gentleman? I mean, he went and did a guy, Richie oh movie. yes yes love the gentleman love the oh gentleman. i have to i have i haven't seen it yet i have to go back and watch that so all right uh well i think we'll have one more segment here i don't think we're doing any chop shop this week but we do have our new segment alignment on a one to a hundred scale what would you give this movie 94 okay like right. this is a this is a desert island movie for me. This, this is top tier, top tier for you. All right, where do you think you fall with critics? Do you think you're above or below them, or do you think you hit it? I I think I hit it. Out of two hundred and ten critics, this is hovering at an eighty-four. Yeah. Do you have any, did you jot down any complaints that anybody had? Uh, no, but I could get them for you real quick. Uh, let's see. In Bruges has some cracking lines in it, a cracking performance from Brendan Gleeson as Ken, and some very funny, provocative jokes, but I still don't know. It's just all the violence that did me in. That was, yeah, so I, I immediately discount that. Yeah, that's the only negative review on the homepage. So that's interesting that that's the only one on the homepage, and yet it's hovering. Oh, uh, why and, make such a film at this point in time? There's a good deal going on in the world. Why this? Does anyone care about a pair of dreamed up what? assassins? That was what? February. That was February thirteenth of two thousand twenty-one. I mean, the movie had already been out for a long time when they decided to review this. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that he's years, an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um. A lot of these rules, like these are from 2018, so these are 10 years later. Oh, that the one, uh, the kind of movie that dabbles in playful illusions before it fizzles into a flat finale. That's wow, I don't think they, hmm, yeah, so some interesting, 
interesting uh, and takes there. Let me just say, interesting because I the reason I will take this movie, like you mentioned, the gentleman, which is Guy Ritchie. Um, I'll I'll take this movie over any Guy Ritchie, and frankly, over most Tarantino because this movie has got a soul it's got a heart mm-hmm. it, it's got a deeper message i think especially guy Ritchie. guy Ritchie is just all flash you know we just talked about the gentleman i love the gentleman i hope we get to review it but it is a hundred percent flash and no substance and that's the way i feel about most Tarantino. i mean it's when it's done right it's expertly pulled off but there's there's never another layer beneath anything uh whereas i think this movie does that in spades like I've seen this movie probably six or seven times in my life. The first five times, it was always just for the the comedy, the quick wit, mm-hmm. you know, the the creative use of swearing. But watching it through a more critical lens, there's a lot more below the surface, a lot more of a heart. So I, I don't get why any critic would would lambast this at all. So we'll do the user review next but i will tell you this is probably one of the best user reviews here it just says it's a fairy tale fucking town how can a fairy tale town not be somebody's fucking thing that's a great review of this movie <laughs> Alrighty, sir where do you think you are aligned with the audience score above below do you think you hit it I mean, I'm just going to naturally believe that I'm below because there's going to be enough people who probably were expecting just a Tarantino or a Guy Ritchie and were a little bit challenged by it. So I'll say my 94 comes in high compared to the audience. So with over 100,000 reviews, user reviews, the audience score is at an 87. So the audience actually likes this movie more than the critics. Still not as much as you, but the audience is a fan of In Bruges. Yeah, sorry, I'm just looking through quotes because I feel like we've burned through a lot of them, but I got to end with a quote. Alrighty, well, yeah, I don't think we have to sum up if we think people should watch this movie. It's a, it's a must for the Hollywood Chop Shop. Yeah, I I absolutely love this movie. Again, it's a it's a status check when I meet somebody new who says they love movies. Like if you tell me if we meet and you tell me that you love movies, my my next question is usually going to be, have you seen In Bruges? So what do you think about it, Bruges? Well, it's a fairy tale fucking town. But Brett, I guess what I want to know is, uh, you heed the Canadian? The Canadian. You 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 heed the Canadian. I heed the Canadian. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't go as well as I thought, Brett. I, I apologize. But uh, did you think I was going to know more of that quote? Yeah, a little bit, maybe. But, uh, you know, that's what the Vietnamese say. What does that what does that even mean? The, the Vietnamese. That has no bearing on this conversation. What's <laughs> why were you even bringing them up? That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fuck. I'm glad you Good. dialed up the profanity. I was worried that uh, your, your your latest trend of not wanting to cuss in earshot of the kids. It's good ah, to she's hear sleeping. Your... I don't give a fuck. It's good to hear you're sure. cussing again. 
Uh, <laughs> but Brett, I also have some some dim dims. You use this word, dim dims, the bullets that make the head explode. Would you like some of these dim dims?